Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And with us today is uh, our friend and rotating guest producer, Matt. That's right. Of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Yeah, Matt Frederick, the winsome and charming Matt Frederick. Yeah, he wins some. He drunk texts me. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can't tell people that. Sure again. Oh, that's not very nice. He sober texts me, too. So, uh, poor Matt. No, no, he's all right. Uh, he's a great dude. Sure. And we're glad you're here, Matt. Can you see us? There you go. Before we uh, get started, I feel like we should um, give a shout-out to our buddies over at Coed. Yeah. You want to tell everybody about Coed real quick who doesn't know? Yes, the Cooperative for Education. We went on a trip to them with Guatemala a few years ago, and they are a nonprofit who tries to break the cycle of poverty through education for yeah. school children in Guatemala. Right. And, and they have the they sustainable got a great model. Yeah, it's very cool. It's good stuff. And um, we like to give them shout outs because we genuinely believe in their uh, organization. And we said that any Stuff You Should Know listener who became a scholarship sponsor yeah. with Coed, um, we would read your name on the air as thanks. That's right. So we're going to do that now because we've already done it once, and Stuff You Should Know listeners just keep continuing to give, so we have another batch of people. Nice. And uh, if you're interested in giving, you don't have to. We don't have to read your name on the air. I mean, um, I think you need to give permission to Coed to tell us, like, yes, read these people's names. Gotcha. Um, you can do it anonymously. You can do whatever you want, but just go to... Uh, C-O-E-D-U-C dot org, and you'll learn all about co-ed, and there's all sorts of places for you to sign up to help in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, so we've got some people, some stuff you should know listeners that became scholarship sponsors, um, starting with Chris Marino. Way to go, Chris. Yep. Uh, Linda McHardy. Yep. And uh, Mike Trick. I knew you were going to give me this one. <laughs> uh, Cameron Weissenessy. Nice. Is that right? Weissness. Or that. Vicenus. <laughs> yeah. The German. W is pronounced like a V in Germanic languages, from what I understand. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Uh, who else, Chuck? Uh, I've got Raymond Breen. <laughs> you skipped over <laughs> Justin Sikina. That's why. <laughs> S-Y-C-H-E-N-A, Justin Sikina. And uh, I think we have, we got one more on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb Weeks. Hey, we know Caleb. Yeah, we know Caleb. He's all over like Twitter and Facebook and emails us and hey Caleb. Yeah, he's he's uh he's a big fan and a big supporter of us as well. That's very nice. Uh and finally we have uh Joe Barkovich. That's right. Thanks a lot, guys. We appreciate you uh giving to Coed and uh we hope that more of you who are just hearing about this now will go out and do it yourselves. C O E D U C dot org. That's right. All right, so Chuck. Yes. We're talking about a guy very special guy. He is special. His name is Stephen Hawking with a Ph. That's right. Uh, with a PhD. <laughs> you like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, brilliant physicist, brilliant mind. If you haven't seen the Errol Morris documentary. Oh, I didn't know there was one on. Yeah, he did A Brief History of Time, which is neat. a documentary about Stephen Hawking, not uh, really about the book. I think there's the a, same name. a movie version of the book. I think I have heard that too, but I haven't seen that. I haven't either. But that was his bestseller, <laughs> um, basically explaining, uh, making, kind of doing what we do, explaining things in a more accessible way that are complex. 
But he does it way better than right. I do. That's why he's like a, a darling of the media and of everybody, basically, because he's really, really good, typically, at explaining really complex stuff. Yeah. To, in in a way that the average Joe can kind of understand. Yeah. Which is, that is, I mean, what we strive to do. They're making a movie about him now, actually. Oh, yeah? Played uh, by Jared Leto. No. No? Good guess. Uh, played by Eddie Redmayne, who... Um, he sounds like a World War One ace pilot or something. He kind of looks like one. Does he? Yeah. Have you seen uh, the Les Mis movie? No. Have you seen My Week with Marilyn? No. Okay. He was in those. Anything else? Uh, he was in other stuff, but those are the two most notable uh, things. It's called The Theory of Everything is the new one, and it's really about the love story between he and his first wife. Mm-hmm. And I saw pictures of him, and he looks just like him. They did a really good job. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they gave him some different teeth and, you know, put on the glasses and messed up his hair and put him in the wheelchair and it was him. Yeah. Yeah. You're now Stephen Hawking. But I think they're shooting that, like, literally right now. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Any release date on that? No, I have no idea. Uh, 2015, I think. Okay. Which seems like a long time for for a movie like that. Yeah. Yeah. They're really putting their heart and soul into it. I guess so. So there's plenty of stuff that, I mean, everybody's heard of Stephen Hawking. But there's um, some pretty interesting little tidbits about the man, the myth, his life. Yeah. Um, that I didn't know about until we read this article that I think is worth sharing, frankly. Because if we don't share it, what are we doing here? That's right. So one of the things, um, just to start off, is that he never won the Nobel Prize. As smart as this dude is. Yeah, has, has not yet won the Nobel Prize. Okay. He's still got time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I said has never yeah. I hope I did. It sounded like there was some finality like to this statement. It's just never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Try all you want. But uh, this pillar of the physics and mathematics community has never won a Nobel Prize. Yeah. That Which was surprising. Is, yeah. It is surprising. We're going to rely on puns for this one, okay? <laughs> uh, he was born on January 8th, 1942, which was also the 300th anniversary of Galileo's death. Right. Which is just mere coincidence, but it's a nice tidbit. <laughs> Says who? <laughs> uh, and he is, uh, obviously was diagnosed with ALS at the age of 21. Yeah. Lou Gehrig's disease and given just a few years to live. And, um, <clears throat> that was a long time ago. It was. Um, he was born in 1942, so he's what, um, 71 now. Yeah. Um, no, he'll be 74 very soon. Yeah. In about a month or so. <laughs> Anyway, he, um, when he was just before his 21st birthday, he started noticing he was in grad school at, uh, Oxford. And he started noticing that he was getting clumsier. Yeah. Running into stuff, having, like, tripping, that kind of thing. And it was apparently pronounced enough that his family said, you're going to the doctor while you're home visiting for Christmas break. Yeah. And so he, um, went into the hospital for a battery of tests for two weeks. That's an awful experience as in and of itself. I'm sure. But then to top it off, they said, oh, well, we found out what's wrong with you. You have ALS. Right. Which stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Yeah. Or Lou Gehrig's disease, because Lou Gehrig most famously had it. That's right. And it's just a, a neurological condition where your voluntary muscle control is lost, right? Yeah. And uh, typically... You will die a few years after contracting it from a couple of things. Well, after symptoms show up, but what? Uh, motor neurons running your breathing muscles start to fail That's or uh, deterioration of your swallowing muscles. 
That's a big one too. So basically, so you what will, you'd like drown? Yeah, like it ends up being respiratory. Is yeah, how you usually go, but it's there's a lot of forms of it, and he doesn't have either one of those conditions, so he's good to go basically, mm-hmm. and has or has been for a long time, especially with his talking box. Yeah, he controls that with his cheek now. That's pretty amazing. I have no idea how that works, though. So um, he's got the ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. That's right. Um, but he hasn't really let it slow him down. Prior to that, he wasn't exactly like a, a real athletic type anyway. No. But he was on the rowing team at Oxford, which was a yeah. huge deal. Rowing team at Oxford equals... Um, Football team at Georgia? Sure. Maybe even more. What's more than that? I, a football team at Ohio State, even. Oh, that's more? Lately, did you see the Vanderbilt game? Yeah, was, I don't want to talk about that. I don't either. So um, he was the coxswain on the rowing team. He's the guy who goes, stroke, stroke, stroke. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know this until I read this article. The coxswain doesn't just set the, the rhythm for rowing. Yeah. Uh, they also steer. Oh, you didn't know that? No, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was strictly um, being basically like a, a human metronome. Right. You know? But he, um, this little pipsqueaky guy, was on the rowing team as the coxswain and like really became popular. So much so that while he was at Oxford, he kind of threw himself into the rowing team, or crew as we call it in America. Yeah, to the detriment of um, his studies even for a while. Yeah. Um, and speaking of studies, he getting into Oxford wasn't a foregone conclusion for this guy because yeah. he wasn't a great student in grade school. And um, I wasn't so surprised by that, that he was average to poor in grade school because I think a lot of these super geniuses, it's like it's so not even beneath them, but they're so beyond that. They might have a hard time just in regular classroom settings, you know? Oh, yeah. So it was challenged like yeah. you're probably not going to do very well in school. So those of you who are bored in school and don't have good grades, don't give up hope. You may be a genius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but even at the time, uh there was something about him. Like he was obviously a smart kid. Yeah. Even though he wasn't getting good grades because his school his classmates named him nicknamed him Einstein. Yeah. Which is about as prescient as you can get. And it wasn't because of his fluffy white mustache he had in the <laughs> fourth grade. Yeah. Uh, but his parents both went to Oxford, and they wanted him to go there. And um, he was a great test taker, and he aced his exams. Yeah, almost got a perfect score on the physics exam, unsurprisingly. Foreshadowing. Um, but rather than going into physics, his father, Frank, I believe his name is, yeah. said, no, I want you to be a doctor. You're going to serve the world by being a doctor. And so... Uh, little Steven goes and tries to take some biology classes and says, this is not science. This is imprecise. <laughs> yeah. It's descriptive. It's subjective. Like, I can't be. No, I don't want to do this. Yeah, he was not into biology. <laughs> no. Um, and I wasn't either. But he was way into physics, whereas I was not. Mm. Um, and when he went to Oxford, they were like, well, we got a couple of programs. We have... The traditional particle physics, where you study subatomic particles, and right. that's old school, where we have this newish kind of thing called cosmology, yeah. which isn't even a isn't even a real field yet. Like we're trying it out here. Yeah, and he was like, I am all over that, because I want to learn about bigger things, right. not smaller things. Yeah, because they're basically the two different 
approaches to the same thing. Like particle studies, the very small parts that make up the universe, and cosmology is the sum of those parts and how they interact. Yeah, of course he would get into both eventually. Yeah, well, you, I think you kind of have to yeah, have an understanding sure. of both or else you're just... Although, but if you're a particle physicist, you can just kind of be in your lab running tests and setting out data. Yeah. And the cosmologists use that as well. I don't yeah, know but if it goes back. I'm sure it's got to go back right. and forth. I bet cosmology, uh, I bet they study particle physics more than particle physics people study cosmology. Well, prove us wrong, people. <laughs> prove us wrong. That was the nerdiest like exchange we've ever had, I think. It's up there for sure, man. <laughs> so out of the study of cosmology, um, his probably his biggest contribution to date to science, to cosmology, popular culture would be a brief history of time. Yeah. But his biggest contribution to his field is um, something that the author of this article calls the boundless universe theory, which I couldn't really find anywhere else. Oh, really? Every everywhere else on the internet, if what you type in boundless universe theory, it just brings up this article and like people copying and pasting this article in the blog really? post. Yeah. Did this guy invent this? <laughs> yeah. Title? And I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I huh. guess so, because there is something out there. That describes this, but nobody else calls it boundless universe theory. Really? Yeah. Wow. But this is the big contribution. And here, it's about the time that your brain will start to melt. Uh, yes. He worked with a guy named Jim Hartle and came up with a, a theory in 1983 that the universe is limitless <laughs> yet. Why is that funny? <laughs> I could actually hear the hyphen in there. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is a contained thing, yet it has no boundaries. Right. So, like I said, your mind melts. But wait, this is why Stephen Hawking is awesome. How can that be, Josh? Well, he says, visualize the earth, the okay. surface of the earth. It's, it, it's contained, but it's also boundless. Like if you travel across the edge of the earth, you never reach the edge. True. So he says, just visualize the surface of the earth. But... Surface of the Earth is, you know, two-dimensional. This is four-dimensional. See, that's where my mind is already blown. Yeah, I, I didn't even try to follow that thread. Yeah, four dimensions. But what what they're saying is, um, and the larger implication of this is that what um, Hartle and Hawking did was they took Richard Feynman's quantum theory of the universe and married it to Einstein's theory of relativity to come up with this idea that the universe didn't emerge from a black hole. Right. Um, instead, it it came out of the Big Bang, and as a result, space-time, which is exactly what it sounds like, yeah. travels, if you're looking at it like a, a the Earth. Sure. The Big Bang takes place at the North Pole. Mm -hmm. So as you're traveling southward toward the equator, yeah. these lines of uh, latitude yeah. get bigger, right? And... Um, those represent space-time. So it's kind of like time doesn't exist, and I don't think that's true, so don't email me. I'm just saying my own interpretation of this. Right. At the Big Bang, Big Bang happens. Time and space start to exist. They go outward, expanding, mm -hmm. and then once you hit the equator, that's the apex. That's the peak, and then they start to come back in. Yeah. And the, the upshot of this is that eventually – by Hawking's reckoning, in about 20 billion years, space-time will collapse in on itself again. Meaning our entire universe will collapse upon itself? Yeah. It's finite, but it's boundless. Mind blown. Right. And, like, Chuck, what we just did, like, isn't even 
that's uh, probably the most rickety, yeah. terrible interpretation <laughs> of the of that ever. But I think that's that's generally the the it's it's an interpretation. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> hey, I got one for you. Okay, if we're listing hawking things, and I just found this out today. Did you know that he had a really bad situation with his second wife? No. He married his first wife, Jane, and credits her with giving him reasons to live, like right after he was diagnosed. Like he met her the week he yeah. was diagnosed? Or the Somewhere week around after? there, yeah. Right there. And that's what they're making this love story about. Mm. And they were married for quite a long time, until the mid-90s. And uh, they divorced, and he married one of his nurses, Elaine Mason. And reportedly, she was an awful, awful person. Reportedly? Reportedly. Allegedly? Uh, like, basically, everybody who knew her, like he was sort of estranged from his family for a long time because of her. Oh, yeah. Controlling, manipulative, bullying, and rumors and investigations into the fact that she may have physically abused him. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. His wife and nurse. Wow. Uh, fractured his wrist by slamming it onto a wheelchair. And this is all allegedly because he denied it. Huh. But people close to him said he would never admit that because that would admit that he really screwed up oh, gotcha. by making this decision. Yeah. Uh, let him pee himself by like not giving him his, uh, you know, the means to do so. Jeez. <laughs> uh, submerged him in a bathtub, like letting his tracheotomy tube fill up with water. Oh my God. And left him out in the sun and like the hottest days of the year, uh, he had heat stroke and severe sunburn. And he denied that they investigated it, and basically the cops were like, there's nothing we can do. He's saying this stuff didn't happen. Hmm. Yet he would show up with, like, bruises and cuts and things and say, yeah, like, I ran into a door again today. They're like, you're in a wheelchair. You can't really do that. <laughs> I guess you can. Um, and they divorced in 2006. When did they get married? 1995. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's awful. There's a, a Vanity Fair article about it. It was, like, really disturbing. Yeah, if any of that's true, that's awful, let alone all of it combined together. Yeah. Jeez. So there's that. That was, that was uplifting, Chuck. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I've got one for you. All right. Um, he, uh, a couple of years back, HuffPo reported that, um, he was a frequent, uh, visitor to a California sex club. Oh, yeah. Freedom Acres. And like some, Somebody who went there said that, like, he they'd seen him there more than a handful of times. Interesting. Like, basically getting lap dances. It's a pretty unmistakable guy. Like, yeah. I doubt if you would confuse him. But Oxford, I believe it was Oxford, uh, came out and said, that is BS. Oh, yeah. He did go to this place once, uh, basically, like, as a joke, as the guest of a friend or something like that. But right. he's certainly not a member. He's certainly not a frequent visitor. And, like, this huh. person who's saying this is a liar. Wow. It got dropped after that, but he um he he does have a, a a great wit. That's another thing he's known for being a charmer. Yeah, yeah. And um the he was asked, I, I think the Guardian asked him like if there's anything that he didn't understand or that baffled him in the universe, and his answer was women. Oh yeah, he said they're a total mystery to me. <laughs> so there is at least one thing, but black holes, not the case. Yeah, he lost a bet on black holes and was man enough to admit it in 2004. Uh, in 1997, he made a bet with um, a fellow scientist named John Preskill. Yeah. And they dis- – well, let's talk about black holes for a second here, I guess. Okay. Stars are these big, huge things that 
burn tons of energy. Yeah, the sun's a star. The sun is a star. Ooh, you should go back and revisit our sun podcast. <laughs> That's a, a great one. Uh, and they have a ton of mass and a ton of gravity, which is great as long as they're burning and doing fine. Right, because they're nuclear explosions pushing outward. Yeah, it's just like... Gravity's pulling it inward, so they find this happy balance. Massive amounts of, of mass and gravity. <laughs> when they die, though, something bad happens, and the gravity <laughs> says, I am... Why is that funny? <laughs> something bad happens. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, if you're a star... I guess. Um, Unless, like, that's the apex of being a star. Oh, you're maybe like, so. Oh, man, I get to be a black hole. To burn out? Yeah. Uh, well, that was a spoiler. They become black holes because... Oh, sorry, Chuck. Gravity wins out and becomes stronger... And it collapses on itself, and they, that is what a black hole is. Right. It's this all the matter in the star combined in this little dense ball that's so dense and has such an amount of mass clustered into one little part that it actually bends the fabric of space and time. Crazy. And so that's your black hole. It's really a black well in yeah. the fabric of space and time. Uh, and so that's a black hole. And supposedly, no... Not not even light can escape once it passes an event horizon. Yeah. And um, who did he have the bet with? Preskill. So Preskill and Hawking disagreed about whether or not anything called information, which would be light, sure, particles, anything, anything at all, escaping black holes. Hawking said no. Preskill said yes. And then later on, Hawking figured out that Preskill was right. Um, that if you did go into a black hole, you would get all jumbled up and distorted. But you information about you, particles, whatever, yeah. could escape. Um, and therefore, there's no such thing as a true event horizon. There's a pseudo-event horizon because right. if you have a genuine event horizon, nothing could ever come back out. I wonder what the bet was. They don't, they don't say. Uh, it, I found out. Oh, it yeah. was a um, – because it was information escaping a black hole. Is it like a Happy Meal? They bet they – bet, <laughs> <laughs> they bet um, – in an encyclopedia of the winner's choice, an encyclopedia being a place from which information is easily retrieved. Uh, and I think uh, Preskill wanted a baseball encyclopedia. Because you know smart guys, if yeah. they're into sports, they're into baseball. Yeah, that's true. It's the thinking man's game. Um, I thought it might have been a trip back to the uh, gentleman's club. <laughs> Freedom makers? Yeah, you're buying. <laughs> All right, here's one that I didn't realize. Uh He's written children's books with his daughter, Lucy. Mm -hmm. And they have a trilogy, and uh, the first one in 2007 was called mm -hmm. George's Secret Key to the Universe. And it's about a little boy named George who has these Luddite parents that he can't stand. Yeah, so he kills them. <laughs> he doesn't kill them. Um, he but... uses technology to kill them. <laughs> no, but he has a neighbor who he really cottons to because he's a physicist and has a computer. He just happens to have the most powerful computer in the world at his house. That's right. And that computer offers uh, offers portals that they can see into outer space. So George is super stoked about this. Right. So there's uh, George's Secret Key of the Universe. They followed that up with George's Cosmic Treasure Hunt. And then in 2011, they had George and the Big Bang. Yeah, and that was their children's book trilogy. Yeah. And uh, I think when they interviewed Lucy and... and him, people are like, we shouldn't be surprised because this is sort of just a another extension of what he's tried to do his whole life, right? Which is explain things, and that's what the book does for children. It's it's not just a fantastical story; it kind of introduces them to things like physics and black holes and or black wells. <laughs> right? Are you going to coin that? Uh, I think somebody else already has. Okay. 
Um, all right. Well, Chuck. Yeah. Before we keep going, we got some more stuff up our sleeve. Possibly the most surprising things you can think of <laughs> that uh, about Hawking coming up after this message break. All right, so you're about to blow my doors with some surprises. Okay. Uh, I think you know all this. You read the same article I did. I'm being coy. Oh, okay. Um, Hawking uh, has said publicly that he believes in the possibility of alien life, and not just primitive alien life, which he suggests is possibly common. He's actually a a proponent of panspermia, which is um, basically like, say, a, a meteor bringing the basics of life from Mars to Earth. Yeah. Um, but also possibly intelligent life. Although yeah, but, he says it's probably few and far between. Yeah, but the fact that he is on record for this is pretty surprising. Sure. He said it to NASA. It was, he, he came out as an alien life supporter to NASA. I wonder if he went home, though, and told his wife. He was like, hey, get this. I told NASA <laughs> I thought there might be intelligent life out right. there. The, here's where my mind was blown a little bit. He says we might need to be... Uh, wary of them though if they come because they probably won't be dna based which you just can't even wrap your head around well yeah you know um i remember having my mind blown as a younger person i think it was michael Crichton in one of his books he just was mentioning offhandedly how aliens might not even be like might they might be intelligent crystals or something like that they could right. be something we just have, we wouldn't we recognize comprehend. at all yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, probably the likelier case. Like he's saying, DNA is not essential to life. It can be it, a lot of other things as long as you have yeah. some sort of replicating basis of life. That there you go. That's sort of old school, like uh, Lovecraft and all those early sci-fi horror writers. Remember, their common method was to always to be like, it cannot even be described. Right. Yeah. That was always their cop out. The unnameable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the way he describes aliens and potentially smart aliens is sort of just like you would see in the movies. Like, hey, they may be nomads who ran out of resources and they're coming to Earth for hours. Yeah. And like, that's straight out of a sci-fi movie. Or are we the aliens? Ooh. Does Hawking say that? No, I'm just oh, saying yeah. like that's kind of what the – we're at the very cusp of that as well. Yeah, remember when like in elementary school when at some point the first mind blow was probably like – we could be just a speck on the fingernail <laughs> yeah, of like some giant in some other world. Yeah, wasn't that neat that they ended um, uh, the Grinch like that? The movie? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, that's how it ends. What do you mean? Like it? He uh, Ron Howard starts panning out uh-huh. and out and out and out from pull, Whoville, pull, pulling out. Yeah. <laughs> so pan is only going in. No, panning is left and right. Oh, okay. Or you push in or pull out. Okay. Well, he's pulling out and out and out now. And um, you finally realize that Whoville is part of like a atom that makes up a snowflake. Oh, I don't Pretty remember neat. that. Yeah, that was a great way to end it. Pretty brilliant. Um, also, Stephen Hawking believes in time travel. He's been on the record about that. Remember in our time travel episode that we did at uh, Comic Con? Comic Con. Yeah, we, he like theorized this huge machine that you could. Used to travel forward in time. Yeah, but not back. It wasn't his yes. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else? Any surprising hawking, hawk facts? Uh, he held a chair for 30 years, which is basically like a position at Cambridge. Um, uh, the Lucasian professor of mathematics at Cambridge. Uh, 
in this chair, this position at this university dates back to 1663. He held it for 30 years. The guy who held it, the second position, the second person to hold that was Isaac Newton. Yeah, that's not bad. That's pretty cool. So his nickname was Einstein. Mm-hmm. He uh, had the same job, literally, as Isaac Newton. He's doing pretty good for himself. Yeah, Presidential Medal of Freedom here and uh, Commander of the British Empire, which is what uh, non-Brits get, I think, instead of being knighted. But still... No. James Bond is the commander. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But still, no Nobel Prize. No. For Bond or Hawking. Yeah. Well, I mean, Breaking Bad won it on their last season. <laughs> That's funny. Didn't they win the Nobel? I don't think so. I don't think they did. They won an Emmy. Uh, if you want to learn more about Stephen Hawking, you can type that into the search bar, Stephen, with the PH, remember, um, at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, friends, it is time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Last Call for Alcohol. And okay. this guy, uh, Dan, describes something that we're familiar with, but we're going to read it anyway in case people don't know. Right. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Dan, and I'm a big fan. I live in New York City. And listen to you drop knowledge on my way to and from work at an East Harlem beer and wine bar called ABV. Uh, and it was here where I discovered a unique use for your work. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but bars have something called last call. That is when the bartender offers folks uh, one last drink before finishing up, usually about 15 minutes before standard closing time. Uh, the idea is that the customer will use the remaining 15 minutes to finish up the drinks and then hit bricks. Uh, this system has served quite well for quite some time and is one of the unwritten rules of bar etiquette. But, as Newton's law would suggest, sometimes the system breaks down. Sometimes folks just don't get the whole idea of a timely close and want to linger. Herein lies one of the tougher spots for a bartender, how to get those loiterers out without offending or upsetting anyone's delicate sensibilities. Um, I thought most bartenders really didn't give a care about that at closing time. Well... The bars that I went to, like in college, it was pretty rough. Right. The the Georgia bar, you know, that was profanities, insulting people and their families. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Right. Or playing really awful music was a great method, (laughs) you know, which is where we come in. Um, Oh, no way. Yeah. You can stop the music. You can flash the lights. You can walk over and plainly tell them uh, to leave, but... You can try my new method, peak oil. <laughs> Nothing will clear room of helpless, <laughs> hapless drunks, philanders, and miscreants like a thorough, thoughtful, and well-meaning discussion of the ins and outs of peak oil from the middle of the show and without warning or context. <laughs> this tactic is subtle, it is funny, and it is amazingly effective. I cannot begin to describe the joy I experience watching the dilly-dallyers dilly suddenly gain self-awareness and scurry for the exits for Klimt, but one can only hope better informed. Uh, but in all seriousness, guys, you're doing the world an excellent service. Uh, information is rarely conveyed with such grace and wit. And for that, I thank you. And if you find yourselves in need of a libation in New York, seek, seek me out. Oh, we will. Dan Morton at ABV in East Harlem. Awesome. We'll go do Peak Oil Live at Flat <laughs> cool. Call. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. What a great use for that one. Sure. Man. Uh, thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks for the invite, too. And anybody hanging out in New York, go check out Dan and ABV, and you can uh, get a little free Stuff You Should Know action going on there at closing time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so if you have figured out a new use for Stuff You Should Know, 
We always want to hear about stuff like that. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. So you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And as always, you can join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. 